Thanks for downloading this episode of Backstage with the Simple Church. My name is Evan Semenko. I co-host with Scott Odom, who you will not hear in this intro, but will be on the podcast today as we go behind the music, continuing the series, talking about music and what it means in the church, growing up with it, how we got where we are. And our guest today is Kenyon Ackberg, someone who was in full-time music ministry for a long time, is on staff with us now at Simple Church as a care pastor, and goes back in the Wayback Machine to talk about growing up with Christian music, being a pastor in the 70s and 80s, how music changed, doing giant productions. He's had like 25,000 people come through Christmas productions that he has been in charge of and led through the years. And it's a really cool story to hear kind of his perspective, someone a little bit older than most of us to know what it was like and how we got here. And then next week, we'll have his daughter, Robin Horton, who's on staff with us and talk about what it was like growing up in that environment. And now she has influenced the next generation with music and what that looks like as well. So thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe so you get every episode of the Backstage with the Simple Church podcast and give us a five-star review. It helps people to find it in Apple Podcasts, makes it easier to search, and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a review, give us some feedback. Again, thanks for downloading and we'll check out this conversation with Kenyon Ackbert. All right, we are here with Kenyon Ackberg, a name you might not recognize, maybe somebody that doesn't get the airtime at Simple Church, but been around and been a part of it a long time. Kenyon, thanks for coming on today. Long time. Long time. Tell us about you and your family and what you do. All right, well, thank you. I'm uh, married to a wonderful wife, Teresa. We've been married for 52 years, met in Bible college, and we have three... uh, wonderful daughters, Robin, who uh, pretty much everybody listening to this podcast should know, who's uh, one of the pastors at Simple Church. Uh, We have a daughter, Amber, who uh, lives in Colorado Springs, and daughter, Emily, who has been a part of Simple Church since day one, I believe, and up front singing quite often. That's right. One of the simple chicks is what they called them, and you might have noticed her different hair colors over the years. uh, Yes. You know, when she was younger, uh, we had people in our former church say, we come every week to see what color Emily's hair will be there. <laughs> so so your kids still uh, like that. Yeah, not quite as often. But, uh, we have 11 grandchildren, ages 26 down to 12. And uh, so we are blessed as a family. That's awesome. So 52 years of marriage. Kenyon, we'll go ahead and just say that you're of a different generation than me of Scott. And you grew up as a somebody that was involved in church, and your degree is a title that I had never heard before. Let's see if Scott had ever heard of this. And that's kind of what got you on here today to go behind the music. You are at the cutting edge of Christian music because you have a college degree in what? Well, my degree was in piano performance, but the, the name of the degree is the degree is Bachelor of Sacred Music. Now, I don't know if that was new with my college or if some of our Christian colleges, others had that. I have no idea, but uh, that was simply, you know, uh, what they offered. And uh, I went there, I really went to college thinking I'd go a year to Bible college and then go to a university and become a high school music teacher, and then uh, I got very involved in uh, productions and choirs, and I was in so deep that I just couldn't leave, and then after two years, I well, I might as well get my degree, and uh, anyway, so I finished there, and but I had a Bachelor of Sacred Music degree. 
And what college was that? And what year? Let's paint a picture for him. Where are you at this time? And I, f- I feel like that picture would be in yeah, oil painting. I grew, up, I grew up in Central Illinois, and the college is in Lincoln, Illinois, the only town named for Abraham Lincoln before he became president. Oh. And so, anyway, it's uh, halfway between Chicago and St. Louis. And uh, the years I were I was in school there were 1966 through 1970. So you're at the end of the kind of the hippie music era. The Jesus music is coming on, and you're there. You're going to be a full time music pastor. And when we had talked earlier, you'd said that there weren't very many in the country at that time, right? You guys were kind of on the cutting edge of that. Well, yeah, I graduated. I maybe knew of one or two full-time music ministries within our church, which our con- our college and our churches were known as are the Christian Church, Church of Christ, non-denominational. Now, when people hear Church of Christ in the South, especially, they think non-instrumental, but we weren't, I mean, we biblically, we were similar to them, except we believed in the instruments, and they didn't. So our school was, uh, you know, supported by people of those churches. I grew up in a church, the Church of Christ, but again, it had all the instrument. uh, well, it had a piano. (laughs) But, uh, you know, because I grew up in a very small church, maybe 100 people at peak uh, in attendance ever. And uh, so anyway, but I knew about this college and went there several times to visit and ended up there because of the music. That's awesome. And I think I, for me, I had a friend that was in high school and I went to a Church of Christ church. It is hard for me to picture a Church of Christ church that had instruments. So I feel like that's an oxymoron if you yeah, know that denomination. very rare. Unusual. Well, again, we were, I, uh, I don't know if it was farther north, whatever, but uh, we were similar. But that, that was the division between us and the true Church of Christ that the people in the South especially know about. One thing I want to go back to is because they didn't offer that degree in my school, first of all, because... <laughs> there was nothing sacred yeah, at LSUS. Yeah. But uh, I will say, like, what, what made you go, hey, let me go to Bible college and do this? And how, you know, like, like what, what, got, what made you just do that? And then, then how long were you a worship pastor after that? Sure. Well, so I, I did say earlier that, you know, when I graduated... Uh, maybe in our churches there were one or two full-time music pastors. And I, and I didn't go, again, as I said, I was going to go on to be a music teacher because I didn't know of anybody doing music yet. I mean, I was a part of a church that had one pastor. He did the preaching and volunteers did everything else. He had to organize it all. Even um, So I went for the music. I had Our college had a summer event every year. They called the a talent rally youth roundup and they would bring kids in and you know you could they came from all over different states and we had a, a competition a competition like a high school music uh judging competition and uh it could be you know piano voice quartets choir did you uh, compete unit. and i competed i won the piano competition my junior year wow I, roundup champion here yeah, my senior year, I didn't go because I was involved in a 
uh, comp, uh, um, all state music or a choir that went to an international music festival. So I couldn't go that year. But anyway, I knew about that. I heard the choirs there sing and it just uh, attracted me. And so that's basically why I went. I wanted to be a part of those choirs and, and that, that uh, music program. And it was, uh, when I first went, it wasn't for the degree. So then I stay. And I get out, and uh, really, this was a God thing, because I was helping with one of those summer events, Teresa and I both, and one of our former classmates, and he was a part-time professor, had gone on to be a pastor. He came back to help judge in that competition, and uh, he just said to us at the end of uh, one of those, or the last night of that, and this was a Thursday night. He said, I want to come talk to you about coming to be my youth pastor. And I had never considered doing that. But I had been convinced and convicted that summer as I was working a job detasseling corn, if anybody knows what that means. My dad husked summer. corn for a summer. He was a corn husker. Is that different? This, that sounds terrible. for Anyway. And so he came over and he talked to us and I had been convicted that summer that I really should go into ministry and not become a school teacher. So, and I had another semester to finish school. Uh, I had taken a lot of music stuff and taken less required courses uh, in my early uh, college years. So I had another semester to finish. Teresa graduated. So that was Thursday. On Friday, we drove to Ohio to meet with he and his people. On Sunday, they invited us to come be their youth pastor. Dang. <laughs> I, went back, I went back to my college and asked the dean of students on Monday, could I finish my correspondence? He said, yes. We sold our mobile home, and three weeks later, I was a youth pastor in Orville, Ohio. Wow. <laughs> Jumped right in it. And I love you. I love you. You huh? completed school by cor- correspondence, which that's in the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little harder back then without the internet, yeah. huh? A little harder. Uh, well, and you know there were uh, some of the courses. A couple I didn't have many to finish, but a couple courses were from a school that offered correspondence work. And then one of my own professors, or at our school, he he made it. Uh, a correspondence thing, which was really kind of uh, uh, almost a joke. But hmm. anyway, I finished, but I became a youth pastor and started, um, well, really at that church, I don't think I did anything musically except sing in the choir. And uh, and then, in my, so, you know, how do you get into full-time music ministry? Second church, wasn't happening. Second church, I was the youth pastor, and I ended up, I think there I did start directing the choir when uh, the gentleman who had been doing it had quit. And, and uh, can you let me pause right there because I think it's a different generation, and that's why we want to talk to you is because you're starting ministry in the '70s and you're influencing the young Justin Hagler's who's coming up next in the '80s, and then me and Scott are another 20 years behind that. Talk about kind of the choir culture and church, and if people are simple church people that never really grew up in that kind of church, choir was a huge deal, right? Like it was a big part of church. It was what it was about. Maybe talk a minute for what choir meant, and like if somebody doesn't have any pictures, like why would there be a choir? What was that like in the time you were starting ministry? Right. Well, 
pretty much every church had a choir, even the smallest. And, uh, you know, it just, first of all, it's a way for people to use their ability. Uh, praise music hadn't even been uh, created or <laughs> hadn't surfaced. Uh, worship music as we know it, praise music, uh, I can't remember exactly. You know, we had praise choruses and camp choruses and those types of things, but nothing like uh, we know today. So the choir carried the music load, and pretty much worship was singing two or three hymns of the hymnal, maybe four, a choir song, maybe a solo, and that was your Sunday morning service in addition to the preaching. And that's just what everybody knew. And so that's how it happened. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't, uh, probably was for me, yeah, I'm trying to think a time frame, probably the l late, uh, in the 90s, when that maybe <clears throat> began to change, where we had a different instrumentation come on stage. I remember in, uh, I was in Mesa, Arizona, when we started a Saturday night service to be more contemporary. Sunday stayed the more traditional. And so then we added a band, and we had guitars and bass and drums and, and those types of things, which we pretty much see now. The, the style of music is quite different now than it was then, but that's kind of when that began to evolve in my experience and in the churches I was a part of. So about a 20-year process from when you started to where it kind of becomes what we recognize today and me and Scott kind of grew up in. <clears throat> right, right. And, and you, you've seen it evolve even to a different level and Simple Church, uh, you know, the way we do it. Many churches are doing that now, but yes, that, that would be right. About a 20-year process or a 20, 20 years time span. So... During this time, though, in your 20-year time span, who was, like, your favorite artist, or who was someone that influenced you musically that you really liked yeah. at that time? Yeah, that was hard for me to think about. I mean, because, you know, even Christian artists, uh, there weren't that many out there until later. What probably the biggest thing for me when I was coming out of college, I remember I don't know if any of you ever heard of the Imperials Quartet. Yes. And Gospel Quartet. And we had the Imperial. The only reason I college. know about them is because Brian Reed has talked about them. Brian Reed likes really? to go and do throwback stuff sometime. Yeah, yeah. And there were several, you know, the prior to them, uh, a little older school, the Blackwood Brothers and the Statesman Quartet. and Gaithers? You is know, this pre-Gaithers? I do know the Statesman. Then the Gaithers came along shortly after that, and then the Gaither Vocal Band. At first, it was the Gaither Trio. It was Bill Gaither, his wife, Gloria, and Bill's brother. And then the Gaither Vocal Band came along, and they're continuing to... And, and they're, still, uh, they're still a ballad group, and they're great, and they've been great. And Bill Gaither introduced more people to Christian music or got them out front uh, Sandy Patty, Steve Green. Oh, I, uh, I can't remember them all, but those people, Bill Gaither got their start, gave them their start. Either they were a lead in group to his group or they were a part of his group. And, uh, so then, and then of course, then came along Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, 
You now know, we're getting uh, to me and Scott's were- age. A friend is friend forever. <laughs> the Lord is Lord of them. But no, but all right. So back in, during this time, though, were there non-Christian influences? Were you listening to like Clive Davis and you liked his sound? And so was that an influence on you or were you Billy were you Joel? Just, yeah. Yeah. You know, I would listen to them, but probably not that much. And as far as an influence, because I was kind of just stuck in that um, Christian music. And then I began to do Beyond the Choir productions to, to try and you know, seasonal primarily. And let's talk about that because you've told me some of this before. And I think the scale of the production you're talking about, like when you think about church production, I think about like the kids and having a Christmas nativity thing. You had a massive scale when you were doing this, I believe in Arizona and what you were doing talks about that season. Well, if I can go back a little before that, it kind of started with uh, a youth choir, uh, doing youth musicals and there was a musical called um, high tops there was the, probably the first one ever to come out was called light shine and i did those with uh, youth choirs i had a youth choir and we were in clearwater florida for a while I had a youth choir there that did that I had a youth choir in columbus ohio my second ministry and we did this same musical and then uh, and and they did very well with that and then uh, when I moved to uh, Mesa, Arizona, uh, I had a youth choir there. It was a unique uh, situation. The youth pastor, that Mesa was my second full-time, what I would call, music ministry, where I had no other responsibilities. Up to that point, I had multiple responsibilities. I, I was, when I was a youth pastor, and this is hard for people to know today, and I'm not saying oh, look at me, or churches today are overstaffed, because I don't believe. But I was a youth pastor in three churches, and in every one of those, I was responsible for babies through college. We We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, had programming for all those, and then I began to have youth choirs as well as a part of that. So, Kenyon, as a youth pastor, I can just say that sounds horrible. (laughs) As someone who did just part of that, very much so. You know, (laughs) we did it because that's all we knew. And we didn't buck it because we couldn't. I mean, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And uh, is it the best? Uh, Certainly not. Did it uh, enhance my family life? It it was not good for that. And I, because I was very into my ministry, into my work, my too much of my self-worth came out of my job. Hmm. And uh, so in spite of that, I'm blessed, I'm happy to say that I'm blessed with daughters who didn't turn away from the church, but are still involved. And we can talk about that more later. But Absolutely. And we're anyway. going to talk to one of your daughters for the other part of this podcast and talk about coming up and yeah. being Robin raised Norton. in there. So right. the productions so, then, you took that full-time job, and it became a pretty big deal. I mean, you were the scale of what you yeah. were doing is massive. So our, our high tops thing, in uh, I, I had a youth choir. Uh, I, I got sidetracked where I was going with that. I had a youth choir of about 75 or 80 kids, and wow. we did this production. We took a, we took a 10-day tour. The youth pastor was behind it. 
And he really was kind of new on the scene at the same time I was. And we worked together. He was very supportive. And he traveled with me, and I'd go on youth mission trips with him. But anyway, um, so that was huge, you know. For uh, In fact, most churches didn't want to host us because they didn't want to have to house us. You know? <laughs> 80 people is a small army. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So anyway, but then I moved to uh, Phoenix, uh, to a church in Phoenix, and I was introduced to a, a church in Colorado that did a, a live or live nativity and a, a live Bethlehem and Dickens Village outdoors. Well, in That'd Colorado, be Dickens, was, Scott, just so you know, I, I know. It's a, <laughs> I am cultured, sir. Yeah. So anyway, my pastor and I went and visited that, and we came back and thought we can do this, and we've got a much better climate to do this. So anyway, this became quite a deal, and from. 2094 uh, through 2004, this church, we did this at this church, 95 to 2004, uh, 10 years, um, we had an outdoor Bethlehem village, people toured through it, there were little stops all along the way for people, they were viewing people, doing active things in biblical costume, and uh you know, it was to take them back, and then it ended up, of course, at the manger scene. And then we had a Charles Dickens village, these sets that were full three-quarter scale buildings, people in them doing activities, Tons doing things. Tons of hungry orphans. Toy making. Have some more. And we had refreshments for people. Anyway, 300 people in the cast or to support it. A cast of 300 we, people. That's just... A cast of 300. And Sounds we like so much did that, work. and it ended up being twenty five thousand people through the through the day gate or attended, and we also had concerts going on in the auditorium. And you were in charge so of all that. I was over that, yeah. But wow. but I will tell you that up to that point, when I did musical productions, started with what they would call cantatas. Oh yeah, and people would come. And then I tried to take it a little farther. I had a had a, a event in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, that we called Round the Table Carol Sing. And we had a gymnasium. We could seat 300 people around tables. We had 300 people in the choirs, children through adults. And what you do, we just, I would take music, and then we would write narration to tie it all together. So the choirs all had their little thing. And they would sing their part, and people were served uh, Christmas refreshments at the table. And, you know, so that's kind of where that all started with me till we ended up with this Dickens thing, which <laughs> was pretty cool, you know. And it was just, to me, the, the biggest advantage of those things, uh, two things. One, you would hope people would become interested in your church, you know. Well, it's a teaser. Yeah. But but especially in the church in Phoenix, the people there really had never been challenged to be involved in ministry in any way, except maybe you, you teach a class or you sing in the choir. And beyond that, the expectation of every member was show up, bring your money. And that was it. And this got 300 people or more involved, 300 people per night involved. 
using a gift that that they had, and uh, it really helped the spirit of that congregation and helped us grow, not just because we did a musical, but because people had involvement. I, I relate that to what I see at the Central Church, where the advantage of not having a building and having to set up every week and tear down every week, whether it's a full-scale tear, tear down or not, it takes people to do it. And those people get involved, and then they're telling people about what they're doing with their life. And it, it, so it's the promotion of the church. It's the advertisement of the church. It's they're not bought in. Paid. Yeah, their ownership of it. So here's, here's the question. Will you now start a simple play, and we'll do the same thing with Simple Church. Can we hear your Charles Dickens accent, Scott? May I have some more, sir? Please, sir. Please, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm just, oh, well, it would be difficult. Well, you'd have to have a piece of property. And I think you're saying that, Jess, maybe not. But anyway. Scott would love for uh, you to Actually, do it. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> he's a, he's all about acting and theater. Yeah. But, Kenyon, yes. we are wrapping up, and I know that you have got a ton of ministry experience and all of this life and all the things you've seen. As we go behind the music, I think the last thing I want to ask you with is, in your opinion and as you've thought about this, what are the things that you think the church has got right when it comes to music, and what are some things that maybe you think they've gotten wrong or that we could do better overall in your time as you've seen this? As one of our elder generation, you've seen a lot of stuff. Right. Well, you know, what, uh, again, as things are evolving, number one, there's certain things I miss, but that's, it's selfish. I miss it selfishly. I miss some of the good old hymns that I think have a lot of truth to them. Um, Is that wrong that we're not using them? No, it depends on why we're not. And from the time I came here, I had a choice of going to a very traditional church across town. And for a year and a half, Teresa and I did. And I still was continually drawn to be at Simple Church because of what Simple Church is about, what it's doing. And I think uh, it's right and it's reaching an unchurched generation and its purpose is to reach unchurched people. And the simple uh, vision of love God, love people, and, uh, you know, to me, and that's what it was when I came, um, I just think that's what it ought to be about, you know, and it should be that simple. So musically, I don't know that there's a right and wrong. To me, the the right is, what are you doing with it? Is it, um, you know, the styles have changed, P- piano and organ to more contemporary now, guitars and, and uh, enhanced lighting and all that. What's the purpose of it? Is the message <clears throat> still in the music? I-, I will say that from the time I first came to Simple Church as a visitor, um, before we moved here, come on vacation, whatever, we Several years we were here after you started, and uh, and I think I've watched that even transition to more uh, music, more with a message, uh, a, a biblical message. But even from day one, if it was just a contemporary uh, secular song, if you want to call it that, it had a tie-in to the message. I never saw it not tie into the message. And to me, that's the important thing. 
are we are we pulling people to Jesus through worship is more than singing and more than uh, instruments playing etc et um, I heard a, a expression or a, a definition of worship many years ago and I believe that if you can simplify it down to this worship is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth, where we show his worth. Well, that happens not just in music. That's your life. And so is everything we're doing musically and in, in the worship time, is, it, is, it, is what we're doing showing God his worth and showing to others God's worth? You know, if it's doing that, then it's right. Absolutely. In my mind. And that's not just singing, and that's what we're about, and I know that you love music, you're passionate about it, you've done it a long time, and it can be a great way to worship. But I just, for one, appreciate that, again, I think we pick on older people sometimes, and you guys, your generation gets a bad rap of not wanting to change or adapt, and you did it. You figured it out, and I'm thankful for you and just meeting with me over the years. You are a care pastor at Simple Church, so if you ever reach out and have a prayer request, you can email prayer at thesimplechurch.tv. There will be a pastor that checks on you to go visit people in the hospital. And Kenyon, you might be one of those. So if you see Kenyon, tell him you heard him on the backstage podcast. Hopefully you're healthy and not seriously in the hospital if Kenyon shows up. But we want to make sure you're through. But Kenyon, thanks for what you do. Thanks for being a part of the church. And really just thank you for all that you've done. Your 50 years of ministry-ish. That's pretty impressive. Very impressive. And I know that God has used you to do a lot of different things over the years. And we're thankful you're spending some time with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I'm, I'm happy to do it, and look forward to the you know the other podcasts that come along. You guys are doing a great job. Oh, Another thanks. 50 years with you, Kenyon. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. God bless. I'll, I'll be uh, seeing you guys soon. Right. Thanks. Thank you so much, Kenyon. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to that conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. Kenyon, again, being a little bit older than us down the road, some wisdom there about music and what it was like, how he helped to shape it and be a part of it around the church community for a long time. We're thankful for his ministry. And then next week, we continue this conversation with his daughter, Robin Horton. So make sure you download and subscribe today. You get all the new episodes automatically each Wednesday. Once a week, we come to you and go a little backstage to continue the Behind the Music series and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Just makes it easier and helps people to find it. And we love to hear from you. Email scott at thesimplechurch.tv or give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever you listen to podcasts and have a great week.